Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust, a podcast for digital transformation leaders where we discuss the latest cyber attack issues, enterprise security strategies, and current security events so that you can successfully accelerate network and security transformation. And now here's what's on our mind this week. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of Cloudy with a Chance of Trust with Lisa Renzen, my cohort, and Pam Kubiatowski. I'm so glad you all came back and joined us again. So we're gonna actually take an interesting approach today. I'm going to be interviewing Lisa. And our topic today is firewalls and why are firewalls potentially the wrong way to do zero trust? As you can imagine, I have some opinions about this. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And what I'd like you to do is keep an open mind because some of you may be going, I don't want to listen to this. We need firewalls. Just hear Lisa out. And by the end of this episode, you can decide, what do you think? Are firewalls the right or wrong way potentially to do zero trust? And spoiler, I'm not claiming we don't need firewalls. I'm claiming that applying them to this problem is maybe not the best use of them. (laughs) And that's a great clarifier. So with that, Lisa, tell us, can you explain what the difference is between the difference between zero trust and a traditional firewall? Let's start there. Absolutely. The core concept of zero trust is really context-based, least privilege access. So it's the idea of using context to verify that a user is authorized to get to the resource they're requesting, and then connecting the user to the applications rather than connecting an endpoint to a network and trying to control what applications they can get to on the network. That should already start to give a hint as to the difference between a zero trust approach and a traditional firewall. If you think about the original purpose of a firewall, It was designed to be an isolation boundary between a trusted network and everything else. Firewalls kept threats out of networks by securing the network perimeter. And that was based on this castle and moat security model that relies on implicit trust. So everything inside the castle is trusted and everything outside the moat is untrusted. But this is really a little bit of an outdated model because As we know, the users have left the castle, the applications have left the castle, we've got cloud and mobility just totally shaking up the access game. But the technology hasn't really evolved that much. Once a user is on the network inside the firewall, by default, they have all the access that a user on the network has. They can move laterally to any network assets, downstream devices, et cetera, And frankly, this allows malware and ransomware to spread. It can lead to data theft unauthorized application access. In order to get around that, you really have to lock down the internal environment, and that can be a lot more complicated than necessary with a firewall. Another problem that has really just been brought home recently is that the firewall itself can be an attack surface. It's exposed to the internet. And in April, the U.S. Attorney General, Merrick Garland, announced that the U.S. administration disrupted a global botnet of thousands of infected firewalls. They were allegedly controlled by the threat actor that they've called Sandworm, which is theorized to be basically associated with Russia, a nation state attacker. So the U.S. government operation was to disrupt this botnet, which had converted infected firewalls into malicious hosts that they were using for the botnet. Sandworm actually targeted firewalls built by WatchGuard and Asus. And of course, those vendors have released guidance on how to detect and remediate the malware But despite all the work that was done, a lot of the originally compromised devices remained infected, and that's why the U.S. government got involved. 
you've got the problem of unauthorized lateral movement and attack surface inside the firewall, but you've got the problem of the firewall itself being an attack surface. And then if you think about it, a virtual firewall has the same problems as a physical firewall. It's just in a slightly different setting. So I think you brought up an interesting point, and I think we need to clarify also. What you're referring to and what we're talking about right now is externally facing firewalls. Mm -hmm. A lot of organizations have firewalls internally within their networks in order to segment networks. Maybe they're segmenting off a manufacturing network or an IoT network or so forth. You had said something that sparked a memory of those internal firewalls actually having to be Swiss cheese. Because you have to open all these ports up to allow users to get to applications or users to get to a manufacturing network or something. Right. And so then the question comes down to really, are you safe with a firewall that's made of Swiss cheese? Sure, because fundamentally, a firewall is a network protection device. They are fantastic at being an isolation boundary, but you really almost want it to be a data diode. Nothing goes through it in the wrong direction. And then what does the wrong direction actually mean? If you want to block unauthorized lateral movement with a firewall, control which users can connect to what applications, you're really pushing the concept way beyond its original design scope. And some vendors have bolted on user identity. My previous employer did, but frankly, it's a bit of a wart. You end up with an incredibly complex set of policies that can be really difficult to maintain. Well, that and they become dangerous, right? Because if you can't maintain it and you lose track of it, that's where your danger begins. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So now can you talk a little bit about implementing actually zero trust with firewalls? Because a lot of organizations try to do this. Yeah. You start to write policies. You find some way to tie identity and context into the firewall stateful inspection policies. And you end up with this really complex segmentation approach where you're number one, applying policies on hundreds of different choke points in the network. And number two, it's kind of a monolithic approach. You need to have these firewalls and these complex policies all the way through your environment to significantly reduce any of your risk. So this was great for us when I was selling firewalls, but it meant that at the end of the day, these zero trust deployments based on identity aware firewalls, really we rarely were able to address the full initial scope of whatever strategic initiative led us to them in the first place. And there are other challenges too. You've got the challenge of decrypting traffic at scale. More and more protected traffic is encrypted. And if you can't crack open that packet and inspect the content, you're really not necessarily able to fully protect that access. But a hardware firewall, you're limited by the scope of the hardware itself. Virtual firewalls, you have to scale them similarly. Then you've always still got the firewall itself as the attack surface. And it's kind of who watches the watchdog there. We've talked about the hardware approach traditional hardware on the edge firewall. But let's talk a little bit about cloud firewall. A lot of organizations are moving to cloud-based firewalls, calling it, some, some call it next-gen firewalls. But could you talk a little bit about that world? Sure. You've got the idea of virtualizing the traditional firewall appliance and running it in a cloud hosting environment. So AWS, Azure, GCP. Or you've got the idea of taking a cloud-native solution that wasn't initially focused on zero trust and adding zero trust capabilities. And in either case, you really have to think about the architecture there. If all you've done is move the location of the firewall from the data center to the cloud, 
the overall security model remains the same. So you've still got the same security challenges, possible scalability and performance downsides. And you could actually be expanding the problem because if you put VMs in the cloud, you have to protect those VMs. You're expanding the external attack surface. You're actually offering more targets to attackers. So a virtual firewall, a firewall in the cloud is not necessarily that different from a physical firewall on premise. You could theoretically try to deliver zero trust with them. A lot of people do, but it isn't necessarily easy or efficient. On the other hand, if you have a cloud native advanced firewall solution, that's different from just virtualizing a firewall appliance and sticking it in a cloud provider. To truly do cloud native firewalls correctly, you want that security function to be in line between the user and the resource, no matter where the user sits or how the application is hosted. So we're moving the firewall function again from the perimeter of the application environment to the access path the user takes to get to the resource. And this tracks with a lot of the Gartner, SASE, and SSE model. That's a great differentiator because so many are talking cloud firewall, but they're also saying cloud firewall, but they're actually going to do it in really a hosted application in one of the clouds. Firewall as application rather than firewall as security function. That's a great way to frame it. It actually makes logical sense to differentiator then. Taking, again, former seat in my former role, mm -hmm. quite frankly, even moving more and more towards a SASE or a zero trust architecture, my actual security sex, my firewalls on-premise was still an insurance policy because so many organizations say, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. So Zscaler, I'm not going to use you completely because I want to still keep this here. Is there a way to be able to go ahead and achieve zero trust with still having that that insurance policy? Well, I think you're talking about layered security, the defense in depth concept. It absolutely makes sense that in some environments, you're going to have firewalls and a zero trust access solution coexist because you still need, again, that isolation boundary. So I'm going to move away from the model of a perimeter firewall protecting a trusted network and that whole dichotomy of everything outside is untrusted and everything inside is trusted. And instead, I'm going to start to think about the firewall as a way to establish a boundary between two equally untrusted environments. At this point, we don't trust anything inside the firewall. We don't trust anything outside the firewall. The firewall is still there as a good isolation point, but the intelligent decision to connect a user to an application has moved up into a different abstraction layer. So it's a service rather than trying to bolt it on as a function to a network centric security component that was never really designed to apply it. Does that make sense? That makes absolute sense. The next thing that starts to come to mind is, okay, how do you start now transitioning to really get to that zero trust exchange and deliver zero trust? Well, we can start with maybe the NIST definition, the 800-207 spec the Zero Trust Architecture from NIST is one of the clearest and best government guidance documents I've ever read. It's like the beach reading of government standards. They say that Zero Trust is a cybersecurity paradigm focused on resource protection. And the premise is that trust is never granted implicitly, but must be continuously evaluated. Based on that definition, we want to move away from a network-centric approach to Zero Trust. The concept of a trusted network is in direct opposition to these zero trust principles, 
And the perimeter firewall security model is really kind of built on that concept of implicit trust. When we think about shifting that to a true zero trust architecture, the first thing we have to do is make that mental transition that we wanna connect users only to the applications, the data that they need, not connecting an endpoint to the network and using that to deliver application access. So you can provide granular access without exposing anything else. And establishing a zero trust architect requires visibility and control over the environment's users and traffic. And that may also include encrypted traffic. We need to be able to monitor and verify what traffic is passing between different parts of the environment. And then, of course, we need to tie in things like strong multi-factor authentication and rich context about the access request. That's a tall order. One of the ways that organizations are doing that is by shifting the delivery model to a cloud-delivered approach to zero trust. Again, you've got that Gartner SASE or SSE, the secure service edge. And this is where Zscaler really comes in here. So we deliver zero trust with our cloud-native platform, the Zero Trust Exchange. And it is built on that concept of directly connecting users to applications rather than connecting endpoints to networks. Zscaler sits in line between the user and the resource that they're requesting. Regardless of where the user sits, they could be at home, they could be in a Starbucks, they could be on a corporate network. And also regardless of how the resource is hosted, it could be a private app in a data center, could be a private app on a public cloud provider, could be private data in a software as a service app. It could even be open internet access. And that's still zero trust access because you still need to protect and have visibility into that access. So across this wide range of traffic, we allow you to apply policy and context in a variety of different ways to come to an enforcement decision. And then the zero trust exchange brokers the authorized connectivity to the requested resource. One advantage of a cloud delivered solution is we can leverage outbound only connections for private application traffic. Instead of a perimeter firewall at the edge of the network with an inbound listener hosting a VPN function. So a remote endpoint makes a virtual private network connection inbound to that firewall VPN gateway. And again, not only your users, but any potential attackers, people can scan for it. We do away with all of that. So we make an outbound connection from the user to our cloud. We make an outbound connection from the application environment to our cloud. And then we stitch together those two connections and only allow authorized traffic to flow across it. And that means we can make applications invisible to potential attackers. We go beyond that though, because not only are the resources invisible, but also the security infrastructure protecting them and controlling access to them. So that can't be discovered on the internet. This obviously reduces the external attack surface. And then you can use granular context-based policy to prevent lateral movement, to protect your traffic, inspect where it's needed, and to stop sensitive data from leaving headed for suspicious destinations. It's a completely different mindset that you start to think about how you're actually going to provide zero trust to your users. But I'm going to play devil's advocate out here because I think there are some listening out there that's saying, okay, sounds awesome. But if it was that easy, everyone would be doing it. And it sounds like, wow, I can't even wrap up my mind around what would it take, because it sounds like it's a big lift. What would it take to actually implement this? And how could I implement in a way where I'm not all in, like flipping a switch? How do you get there? Yeah. Step one is that layer eight step, changing the mindset, being open to this new approach. 
But the modern approach like this to zero trust really offers much more flexibility than a traditional network-centric or firewall-based zero trust deployment. First of all, you don't have to have full visibility or full context to start implementing your zero trust solution. You can actually start by just transitioning to the cloud-delivered secure access architecture. Keep your existing policy framework, even keep your existing traffic patterns, but migrate them to a cloud-delivered approach. So you remove your external attack surface. And you can also begin to apply these least privileged access policies in any areas where you do have the context you need. Third-party access, M&A, BYOD, these are all use cases that generally have a high degree of context baked in. At the same time, though, you can offer connectivity and gather visibility in the areas where you don't have the context you would eventually want. So this lets you apply these principles of context-based least privilege access, one use case at a time, one user community at a time, one resource group at a time, and that lets you tackle the low-hanging fruit first. You can use the time that you're protecting some of those high-context use cases in parallel you can be doing discovery for some of the more challenging use cases. And then you can leverage the visibility from that discovery process to develop the context you need to create the user groupings or the resource groupings, the context-based access policies to address those use cases. There are even starting to be tools to more intelligently take the raw visibility and do some of that work for you. Automate the work of, I've discovered 10,000 applications how do I know which of them are my file shares? How do I know which of them are my Active Directory domain controllers? That is a ripe target for a machine learning application. All of this means that you can prioritize based on your drivers, whether that's reducing risk, reducing cost or avoiding cost, improving your user experience. I would say that the flexibility of a cloud-native, transparent, zero-trust access approach is gonna do a bunch of things for you. It's gonna offer a seamless user experience, it's gonna help you to minimize that cost and complexity. It's gonna increase your visibility and the granular control you get. And it can even enhance performance. All of that comes from this modern approach to zero trust security, but the key there is not having to eat that elephant all at once. This has been wonderful. I think you've given our listeners a great deal of information to clearly see the difference from a traditional firewall approach to really looking at that more modern zero trust architecture in what are the differentiators? And I think it's key of how you've identified clearly for our users, hey, look for your low hanging fruit, the areas that you wanna tackle first, because if you've chosen the right partner, you can phase this in over time, focusing on what your priorities are. It's not to eat the elephant all at once. And so with that, I wanna thank you. This has been wonderful. It's been very enlightening the traditional world of firewalls compared to zero trust architecture. And I'd like to thank you all for listening again. And we hope to have you tune in soon for another episode of Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find Lisa Lorenzen and Pam Kubiatowski on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com or on LinkedIn. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult with your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. 
Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2022.